0: As always, I'm very excited to have my dear friend, Dr. Marty Greer, back to talk with us on Veterinary Voice. And today's kind of special. We're actually celebrating basically the five-year anniversary of the Veterinary Voice and Marty working with us here at Pure Dog Talk. And it's amazing, isn't it?
1: How did that happen?
0: I know, right? (laughs) All right, guys. Are you planning your next litter of puppies Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. So welcome, Marty. I'm, as always, thrilled to have a few minutes of your time.
1: Oh, and happy to be here. I get such great feedback from people that have listened to your interviews. And, you know, you do a great job interviewing, and it's just so much fun. And I think that comes through.
0: I think it's the fun part, right?
1: Yeah. And a lot of people listen to it when they're driving to a dog show. So they're already kind of in dog mode in their head. And so this just sort of leads them right into other interesting topics. So it's, it's really fun.
0: It is. And I will tell you all of the listener feedback I get, which is mountainous. Thank you guys. Always. The favorite episodes are with Marty. So uh, well, thank you. we've literally saved dogs' lives. And I think that that's kind of a big deal.
1: That is truly rewarding and really amazing that people engage and remember yep. and use this as a resource when they get into trouble. So it is yep. very cool.
0: So part of our anniversary podcast episode, you have a very special project that is the very first topic that you discussed on Pure Dog Talk, and that is breast cancer in our dogs. And here we are. We're actually recording this in October, and it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So talk to us about what's going on with that, because I think you have some cool plans in the works.
1: Yeah. So we'll look to some help from your listeners. But essentially, people sometimes forget that dogs get breast cancer too, and the cats, but you know, this is pure dog talk, so we'll stick to the dogs. And it's not an uncommon kind of cancer to find in dogs, unfortunately. It is definitely linked to spaying at an older age, mm-hmm. but in spite of that, there are still some significant benefits in waiting to spay. So that's a whole other topic. But essentially, we see it in middle aged to older normally female dogs that were left intact after the age of two. So anybody that's breeding their dog is typically not going to spay her before two because of health clearances, because she needs to mature before you breed her. So this means that almost every dog in a breeding kennel is gonna fall into a possibility of breast cancer, mammary tumors, same thing, different term, all the same stuff. And I think it's really important that people know that there isn't a good treatment other than surgery So early detection and surgery is going to be almost the only thing that we can offer. There are very few protocols written right now for treating mammary cancer in dogs that are not surgical. I've tried to push the envelope a little bit and the drug manufacturers don't look favorably on that. So you pretty much have to see an oncologist and oftentimes those treatments aren't very successful. So really early detection, finding a nodule, taking it off when it's small, and then Being very attentive for additional ones to develop is very important. So I encourage people that may do their own self-breast exams once a month or may not because, oops, they don't think about it. If your dog is motivating you to do your own, perfect. But you both should have your self-breast exams once a month. Just like in women, it's encouraged. We encourage it in dog owners as well. And during October in our practices, because we have three locations, we explain to clients what mammary cancer is, how to detect it, what it feels like, how to decide whether they have something to be concerned about, and encourage them to get immediate veterinary interventions so that we can take those mammary tumors off when they're small and fairly innocuous.
0: So I think that's a really, really great place to launch. So we're going to talk about the dog, not our own (laughs) breast exams. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just tie it in your head to the calendar.
0: Same time. So when we're doing a breast exam on our female dogs, what is it we're going to feel? What is going to indicate to us what thing am I going to say, aha, this is what I need to pay attention to?
1: Sure. So dogs have five sets of mammary glands. The littlest ones are at the front, between the front legs, and then they go down a a nice string all the way down, usually in a fairly straight line. Every now and then there'll be an extra nipple or something else thrown in and eh, that's okay. It's just a normal variation. But what you want to do is go along that chain that goes down. So feel from one nipple to the next and in between the nipples and just gently manipulate the skin so that you can see if you find anything that seems abnormal. A breast cancer nodule will feel firm like a pea or a little cluster of peas. They'll be firm. They won't be those soft lipoma kind of masses. They won't be on the belly button. They'll typically be off to the side one or the other, depending on which side. And the most common place to find a tumor and the most serious tumors are in the glands closest to the back legs. So the fifth gland is where we see most of them and then fourth and then third, second, third. And first we see fewer, but they can still occur. Now, some girls will have more than one. Some girls will only have one. But if they have one, then they are predisposed, even if you take them to surgery and remove the ovaries at that point. Or even if you take that mammary tumor off, she is still prone to having additional ones because her genetics will allow for that. And because you didn't protect her by spaying her before too, but I don't spay my dogs before, too, because like we said, you can't have them in a breeding program if you're doing that. So it's the trade-off that you have. I will tell you for dogs that are left intact deliberately that aren't in a breeding program that we still see more dogs die from hemangiosarcoma, lymphosarcoma, mast cell tumors, and osteosarcoma. So there's four kinds of tumors that we see, lymph nodes, spleen, bone, and or mast cell, which is skin tumor. We still see more dogs die from those than we will ever see die from breast cancer, mammary tumors. So if your dog does develop mammary tumors, don't feel guilty, don't feel bad, just go to surgery, get them taken off, take them all off, get them sent in for biopsy. I strongly encourage people not to spend the money on a fine needle aspirate. A lot of veterinarians want to stick a needle in it and aspirate it. And because most mammary tumors are mixed of different cell types, that is not going to be an accurate assessment of what you have. I've had them come back where they've been like, oh, it's just an adenoma, don't worry about it because they've hit, unfortunately, the wrong part of the tumor. And you can't tell that until you just go to surgery and remove it. So don't spend the $200 that your vet wants to spend on it. Just go to surgery, take it off with nice big margins. There's lots of extra skin. Dogs come with big dog suits, so you can take extra skin if you need to. So be fairly assertive in removing it and just be done with it. As soon as you find it, call, go in. And if she's not in a breeding program anymore and still has ovaries, then I would encourage you at that point to also have the ovaries removed.
0: So that was my follow-up question. So I have my bitch in a breeding program. She's had her two or three, maybe four litters and do you then encourage folks to spay as soon as they're done being bred?
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of good research showing how protective that is if they're spayed after age 2, but there's no question that every time we see a dog go into heat that the mammary tumors If they aren't taken off and she has another heat cycle, they can jump fairly dramatically in size. I've even seen some get pretty Uh big during pregnancy when people have ignored the fact that we've told them to not breed on that cycle, take the mammary tumor off and then breed her. And people will do that occasionally. And those tumors can get pretty big pretty quickly. So yes, I do encourage people to take out the ovaries at that point. So if she's already had a spay, but an ovary sparing spay, remove the ovaries. If she's still intact with both uterus and ovaries, Remove ovaries and uterus if she has breast cancer. One, to protect her against additional tumor formation. Two, because pyometra is a big deal. We see it in 25% on average of dogs that are intact after the age of nine. And again, there's some breed predispositions on that, which we aren't going to go into right now. But there is definitely a benefit to removing. Once she's done, retired as a show bitch. If you are no longer showing a confirmation, most breed clubs will allow veterans to still show after they're spayed, some breed clubs don't, but most will. So it is important that after she's done being used in a breeding program, that you eliminate her ovaries and uterus and just be done with it. Just get rid of it before there's any problems with the baggage that goes along with it.
0: Right. Excellent. I think that that piece is one that people need to hear. And so, talk to us a little bit about this project that you have in mind. So
1: a few years ago, we trademarked a logo and a process called the pink paw. So it's basically breast cancer awareness for our pets. It includes the dogs and the cats. And I want people to be aware of early detection. So learning to feel for mammary tumors in our practice, if you came in during October with your dog for anything, if you find a lump along her mammary chain during that next six months, we're going to recheck her for no charge. So talk to your veterinarian about it and say, Hey, you know, I found this lump. I think I need to come in. If they charge you, if they don't charge you, it doesn't matter. Just go in, get it seen, get it taken care of. And then I would really love to see a nonprofit develop around the Pink Paw so that we could fund breast cancer research treatment for our dogs. So I don't have anything developed beyond just the trademark and the thought about it at this point. It wouldn't be a terrible thing if somebody has some great ideas to link on to some other kind of cancer treatment or cancer research I'd love to do that, but I want to make sure that any funds get earmarked for breast cancer, that it doesn't just go into a general fund for cancer or for health or any of those things. So if somebody out there has some brilliant ideas or already has a foundation or wants to do anything with this, please contact me because I think we could really take this into something important because mammary cancer is one of the most common kinds of cancer that we see in dogs. The good news is in 40 years of practice, I've seen fewer than 10 dogs die from breast cancer. Many of them will have breast cancer. They may die with it. As Dr. David Waters says, they may die with it, but they probably won't die of it. It's a rare occurrence that mammary cancer is that serious that it's fatal to the dog. There is one form of mammary cancer called inflammatory mammary carcinoma. There's an equivalent in humans and it is bad, like super bad you don't even get them to surgery. It's a more diffuse kind of inflammatory change on the surface of the skin. It isn't quite as localized to the mammary tumors as they feel like nodules. It's more inflammatory and rashy looking. And I've seen four dogs die from that, golden retrievers and poodles primarily. So that one's pretty serious and pretty different. Right now we have absolutely nothing we can do about it. I had one client that tried Palladia, One of the cancer drugs, and that didn't help. So that type of cancer doesn't lend itself to surgical correction, but almost all the other ones will. So we still have an opportunity to say, let's figure out a way to do radiation, to do chemo, to do something. Because, as you probably know, if you're paying any attention at all to what's going on in research, there's a ton of drugs coming out to the marketplace for different kinds of cancer treatment in dogs. It's super cool.
0: I did a interview with the folks who founded the Canine, so that you can now do the blood test to see if your dog has cancer cells. So that's super exciting. I mean, there's lots going on right now.
1: Yes. And a lot of really important research at the universities, at some of the other centers. So there's a lot of great research that's happening, but very few people are looking at a drug application from some of the new chemotherapeutic agents that are coming out for the use in breast cancer. So I think that's where we need to emphasize it because it is so common. Mm -hmm. But the problem with it is that because it's so common and because so many veterinarians see it, they just take the dogs to surgery. You know, most local practitioners are going to be very comfortable doing this procedure. Mm -hmm. So they're not getting to the university where there's the research dollars typically are funneled to for research.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So in our greatest hits, breast cancer, awareness in our dogs. And Marty wants to make a foundation. So y'all get in touch with Marty. Let's make it happen. Number two, in our greatest hits, we talked about years ago when the DCM, the dilated cardiomyopathy and ties to the dog food and all of that broke through. And so we thought we'd touch on that one and see what you know about anything that's more current, more recent that you've heard on that. had a listener request that particular topic.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately there hasn't been a lot of great breakthroughs in figuring this out. Many of the grain-free diets have either disappeared from the market or they've added taurine to it and they put it in big letters on the bag, which is great. Very important. It's probably more than just taurine. It probably includes L-carnitine and some other amino acids. We don't really know for sure. It's been pretty you know, kind of flying under the radar recently. So I don't think we have as much information as I would really like for us to, but unless your dog has to be on a grain-free diet, I don't see that there's any health benefits. They may have to be on it for an allergic reason, but otherwise grain-free is really not a trend that's going to help your pet to be a healthier dog. So I don't see any reason to seek out those foods. They tend to be more expensive There's a lot of great diets on the market that are still very mainstream, and there's really no reason that you have to apologize for it. Purina makes a great food. They make a Sport 3020 that works great for reproduction patients, for athletic patients. Royal Canin makes a huge line of great dog foods. Hills makes great dog foods. And I really stick to those three, Purina, Hills, and Royal Canin. I personally feed Royal Canaan. So if anybody wants to know, that's what I do. And I buy my dog food, just so you know. I don't get these little shipments from the companies. I have to buy my food just like all of you. But it's important that we're feeding food from companies that do research, not just because they are funding research, but because they are on the cutting edge of what the most important nutrients are for our pets. And it's really easy to read a label and look at macronutrients, which are going to be the fat, carbohydrate, and proteins, and compare one bag to another and say, well, you know, this brand of food, and I'm not going to name any negative ones, this brand of food is just as good as Royal Canin. But in reality, those micronutrients are where a lot of these things are lost, especially for our reproduction. Our males and our females need an anti-inflammatory diet. They need a diet that supports good reproductive health. And unless we're feeding the diets that are appropriate in those micronutrients, missing out. So I see a lot of fertility issues in dogs that are not being fed a great diet. And like I said, the three companies that do the research are going to be Royal Canin. And of course, part of them is Pedigree and IMS and all the other things, Hills, which is prescription diet and science diet. And they have a huge line of foods and Purina, of course, all pet food has gone up in price. So you're going to have sticker shock no matter what you're feeding. But I would be sticking with one of those three. And that's all I have ever fed at my home are one of those three diets. I've never gone off the rails and gone to anybody else because those are the companies that I trust the research on and trust the value of the nutrition that they are providing for my pets. And if I had to count on my dogs to make a living, they are never sick. They live to be elderly. I would starve to death if my dogs were my veterinary patients because I vaccinate when I need to. I use flea and tick and heartworm preventive as appropriate. I feed them appropriately. I keep them at a good way to keep them fit. And my dogs live to be old, old dogs. So I think that should speak volumes to people that are suffering from feeling guilty about not buying the newest, the coolest, the most expensive the stuff at the front of the pet store, don't buy the stuff on the front racks, man. That's where their high markup items are. They're making a lot of money at the front of the pet store. Go to the back of the store, go find your Royal Canaan, go find your Purina, go find those products. And I do avoid typically the store brands and the less expensive brands because you do get what you pay for. So you don't have to get the most expensive, but most of the high quality dog foods fall is in that mid-range of price.
0: Excellent. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys, if you are part of a national breed club in the US or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before, and this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now, you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part? Your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at TruePanion. And for the third one of our greatest hits, I remembered what the other one was somebody had asked about. And that is the Semen Storage program that you're involved with with the American Kennel Club. Started with the Otter Hound Club. Right. I was talking to someone who's involved with Celium Terriers and involved with trying to make the semen bank available, and she was sort of sad that theirs was one of only a handful of breeds that were participating. So bring us up to date on where we are on that Sure, and talk about some of the benefits that you're able to see. I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but I really can't bang this drum hard enough.
1: Right. And I think it's really important. It's called the AKC Semen Preservation Bank. AKC is now funding it, and it's a very important program. I just spoke to the Berger Picard National.
0: Berger, I got yelled at.
1: <laughs> got to say it right. I'm sorry. At their national in Iowa a couple of weeks ago. And I walked into the room with about 50 people there. And I had one woman that caught me afterwards the next day. And she said, Dr. Greer, before you started this program, I was 100% saying I would never put my semen in that. I would never do that. And she said, by the time you got done, I'm like, yes, sign me up. So I think it's important that we look at this very globally. AKC is going to fund long-term storage of your dog's semen if you no longer choose to store it or you want to donate it to them. It can be donated while you're still alive. It can be donated when you move into a nursing home, when you pass away at whatever level you want. They will assure a couple of things. One is that the semen would be used out of your own personal semen, or whoever happens to have it before. So if your male dog is still producing sperm or their semen stored somewhere else, that would all be used first. So they're not trying to do an end run around and take your semen. The important thing is that you are now preserving your dog's genetics for the future. And for those of you who say, this is my semen, I'm not going to share it. I want you to think about how short-sighted that is. If you have spent 40 or 50 years in a breeding program, developing excellent genetics, you should be the kind of person that also wants to share that with other people. It's valuable. It's important. And I think it's really short-sighted of you to say it's mine and I'm not going to share it. Now I said this out loud to the Picards and I can say this because I have a herding breed. So I can say this, I have corgis, herding dog people are control freaks. There's a few other breeds of people that are like, there's others. Yes. (laughs) And they don't want to share, you know, when I walk into a golden retriever meeting, they jump out of the chair the people jump out of the chairs, run across the room, throw their arms around me and say, oh, let me get you a sandwich. When you walk into a terrier club meeting, they go, this is mine. Go away. You know, people don't look like their dogs. They act like their dogs. And I can say I'm a control freak. So I understand it. But you have to really look globally at what the benefits of sharing your dog's genetic material are. Right now, it's only semen because that's all we know how to preserve and use. But even the semen can be used for a breeding or if for some reason that dog is not appropriate for a breeding, then at least the DNA can be used down the road as more DNA tests become available. We can start looking into the genetics of some of those lines of dogs much more effectively. Now, AKC will let every breed develop their own protocols. So you may say the dog has to come from an owner of Breeder of Merit. You may say that the dogs have to have certain genetic clearances before we'll consider
0: them in the gene pool. So your own
1: breed club sets your own rules.
0: That's what I was going to say. This isn't an individual. Like, I can't just go give them my dog semen. I need to talk the German Wirehair Pointer Club of America into setting this up.
1: Right. And the breed clubs should have a pretty global look. They are usually appointing someone or a group of people that were on their health committee so that they have a pretty good idea of what kind of genetic concerns there are. And just because your dog isn't perfect genetically doesn't mean it can't contribute to that. It may be that that DNA is saved down the road for a DNA test that they're looking for, or developed later. So I want you to think about all the dog semen, not just the dogs that are the great dogs. My concern is the longer we wait, the faster that semen is being destroyed. Because as people move into nursing homes, move away, don't have a forwarding address, die, their families say, I don't want to pay for the semen storage. I'm not dealing with it. It's getting destroyed every day. So the sooner you can get your semen into the semen preservation bank, the better. But your breed club gets to decide, or you get to decide, and you can move it forward. And AKC is doing this very, very carefully. It's been thought out. We've gone through every scenario that we can think of. I'm sure there's going to be things that haven't. But if you look at dairy cows or beef cows, they started doing this in the 1940s. There is a seed preservation bank under the ice cap in some northern part of the world where they're storing seeds for plant production like our food sources in case anything catastrophic happens. And we have to think about this the same way is we've seen catastrophic things happen in breeds where a genetic disease has become prevalent or where a part of the world, like in Europe during the world war, that the number of dogs being bred was down to nearly zero. And so those lines of dogs and breeds of dogs almost died off. So that's why we've seen some genetic bottlenecking and some other issues. And we really have to be thoughtful. If you have put your heart and soul for 40 or 50 years into breeding a really beautiful, great, healthy line of dogs, please, please share that with people down the road because they are gonna benefit. And I hate to see some of those really important, valuable foundation dogs who have genetic material saved in the 1970s and 1980s when we first started to freeze semen. I hate to see that destroyed. So please, please, please look hard at this. Talk to your breed club, talk to your health committee, see if you can move this forward. The AKC basically developed this as a toolkit So your breed club doesn't have to figure out the legalities of it and the accounting of it and how to set up a nonprofit. Your breed club can basically turn to AKC, say, please give us a toolkit and then they take it and run with it. So be part of that and be willing to share the important genetics that you have developed.
0: You know, for the number of times that we all bang on the American kennel club because they did something bad, we got to give them credit when they do it right. And I think this is really, really important and yes. I mean, I personally have just in the last couple of years, actually just this last week, acquired semen from old dead dogs that I would like to use in my breeding program that I'm not even breeding anymore, And I can pass on, you know? Right. And right. so I just feel so strongly about this. And when the gal I was interviewing brought it up, I'm like, oh yeah, we're adding that to the greatest hits list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So if people are interested, I'm happy to do a presentation for their breed club, either in person or through Zoom. Zoom is really easy because we don't have to travel. Other people on the committee are as well. So there are a couple of veterinarians Joellen Gregory is on and she was part of the original Otterhound group. Yep. So there are veterinary listeners
0: go back and listen to Joellen's episode. Just do a keyword search on the website and you can listen to Joellen Gregory talk about it. She yep. was one of the very early interviews I did on the podcast.
1: Yeah, and she's been very engaged in it and really instrumental in the whole thing so i can't overemphasize the importance of what the otterhound club has done for moving this forward but when we went to akc and said we really think that this needs to become more global than what it is right now mark dunn at akc absolutely jumped on it and not because they're going to make money on it they are funding it this is not a profit center for the akc this is they are smart enough to realize that the future of dog breeds purebred dogs is in their hands and if they don't take this opportunity we're going to lose a lot more genetic material than we already have. So super, super important. You probably know who some of these important dogs are. They'll be accessible to people if we can keep the
0: semen from being destroyed. Excellent. All right. Well, Marty, happy anniversary, baby.
1: Thank you. Thanks. It's been great. The other thing I didn't mention during breast cancer. Oh, yeah. discussion. Yeah. is there is an article that was published in 2012 and I'll send you the link I think it's probably there but I'll send it again on the incidence of mammary tumors by breed in the Swedish dogs. Unfortunately, we don't have that data in the US because most of the dogs in databases like that are a spayed. They're the Banfield dogs, so we don't have access to that, but they have a chart that shows the frequency of breast cancer, the frequency of pyometra and the frequency of both. So you can go through there. They've got about a hundred breeds listed. You can go breed by breed and see whether your dog, your breed of dog is genetically predisposed to it, which is gonna help you make decisions on how soon you should spay and what you should do about pyometra and some of those other things. So there's definitely a genetic basis to it. So take a look at that and do some research. Like poodle is listed as poodle. They don't break it down into different sizes. So it's not absolutely a perfect database, but the Swedish insurance company has shared that much information with us. And it's 10 years old of information, but really dog breeds haven't changed that much in 10 years. So take a look at that and be aware that that's a great resource for you.
0: Excellent. We will have a link in the blog post, everybody. And Marty, thank you. Have a fabulous Saturday, my friend.
1: Thank you. Take good care.
0: Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is pure pep talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review.